Welcome to the never-ending quest for clarity. This is Loving Liberty with Brian Hyde. Well, hey there. Welcome to Loving Liberty. Brian Hyde here. And man, have we got an action-packed couple of hours in store for you today. I want to mention coming up in the next hour, we're going to be visiting with Darcy Van Orden. And we're going to be talking about the Utah Business Revival Rally. This is coming up on Saturday in Salt Lake City. And uh, it's a chance for people to come out in support of local and small businesses, many of which are in the process of dying on the vine. And also to assert, uh, well, how can I put this nicely? Control over our own lives, for lack of a better phrase. Anyway, we'll have a lot to talk about in the next hour. I don't know if you've been following the news, but did you see the protests erupting around the nation yesterday? And it's, you know, when I say erupting, it doesn't, it's not like, oh my goodness, it was everywhere. It was, you know, but there were a bunch of different uh, locales. The, the one that caught my attention was Lansing, Michigan where citizens, well, they created gridlock, seriously, surrounded the streets all around the state capitol in Lansing and uh, sat there honking their horns. I just caught some live uh, video footage from, I think it was Breitbart, and you couldn't even understand what the reporter was saying because uh, there were so many horns honking. He went around, talked to various people. Why are you doing this? What's going on? And And look... As tempting as it may be to dismiss it as well, these were just a bunch of the radicals out there, you know, trying to, you know, stir trouble up and and show how stupid they are and how bad they want to catch a disease that's going to kill them. No, it uh, turns out it was actually just average people who are darn tired of being told by government, you can't go to work. You can't have interaction with your loved ones. You can't do this. You can't go to church. You can't buy, you know, a garden hose. You can't buy seeds for your garden. As if somehow the state's wisdom is is a great substitute for our own ability to run our own lives. Now, it's I understand there are people who are very concerned about coronavirus. I think most of us have a concern at some level. But can we at least agree that the one size fits all approach may not be appropriate where you have the population density in New York, and that appears to be one of the hot spots where the virus has uh, fairly, apparently done a fairly large amount of damage. That doesn't mean that the rest of America should live on its knees because New York happens to be a hot spot. I don't know. I am encouraged, though. I, I'm happy to see that there is, uh, there is a spirit of resistance still in the American people. I'm going to start, though, with some painful truth here. Uh, Gary D. Barnett... Well, let's just say he has uh, he has some pretty bold things to say, and the truth may hurt a little bit. We talk a pretty good game as Americans about uh, we are the land of the free, we are the home of the brave. But you know what? When push comes to shove, silence is saying a lot about us. In fact, he says it's the pathetic truth about Americans. And he starts with a quote by Albert Einstein. Maybe you've heard this one before. The world is a dangerous place to live, not because of the people who are evil, but because of the people who don't do anything about it. Now, Gary Barnett says there's only one cure for apathy, and that cure is knowledge in the form of education about matters not before understood. But even that's not enough, because any new understanding or truth must be accepted and then act upon acted upon rather for without both of these measures failures guaranteed and any underlying indifference can only bring about a new and deeper root of totalitarianism 
Now, he states the obvious here, but it still bears repeating. Evil is something that has been evident throughout all of human history. So evident, in fact, that any study of these matters will bring even the strongest and most enlightened men to their knees in sorrow. And he says, this has always been difficult for me to accept because although all of us have the capability of evil thoughts or actions, most of us do not physically act on those deep-seated emotions. Why do most suppress these innate desires while others thrive on wickedness? Gary Barnett says, this question has troubled me for a lifetime, but I've never been able to answer this question in my own mind. He says, what's worse is that the solution to this dilemma is right in front of our eyes, but rarely seen. You see, most of the extreme evil is accomplished by the few, the few being those that are consumed by a severe psychopathic nature, which includes certain individuals, those in power, such as governments, those elites controlling governments, warmongers, and all those that use deceit to gain nefarious agendas, whether it's for personal gain or for a group bent on societal destruction. He says, because this evil is relegated to the few, it should be obvious that it could be defeated by the bulk of society. All that's necessary is for the larger mass of people to not remain silent. Now, this appears to be a simple matter due to the fact that there are many more of us than there are of them. So why does evil seem to win out in almost every aspect of life and reality? You ready for the tough truth? It's because of the silence of the individual and the constant indifference that consumes the average among us. He says if they only knew of the strength they possess, if they understood the power of numbers and the influence wielded by the courageous efforts of those fighting for right. Yes, in this case, silence is deadly. Especially now when we are facing the ultimate threat to not only our freedom, but to our very existence. Now, he'll explain more on that in a moment, but I got to tell you, I I had a, a piece of uh, information come across in my email last night. Apparently, Utah legislators have been calling uh, in my home state of Utah. They've called a special session uh, to to address emergency powers for government. And Morgan Philpot, yes, that Morgan Philpot, the uh, the lawyer who was instrumental in uh, securing, um, you know, acquittals for Ammon Bundy and others had a very clear warning. Maybe we'll share it in the next hour, but uh, he has a very powerful warning about the the enabling act of 1933 that put uh, Adolf Hitler in as the chancellor and gave him supreme power to address the problems and the threats facing the Weimar Republic. This is the equivalent of that kind of enabling act being suggested for Utah legislators. And it's a subtle change in wording, but it, it allows even municipal executives to exercise extraordinary, unaccountable powers in the event of a declared emergency. Why is that dangerous? Well, we'll get into that in the next hour. I want to get back to Gary Barnett. He says, we are in the middle of this, the single biggest takeover of humanity that has ever been attempted. And he says it's being prosecuted by the few, the few due to the extreme fear evident amongst the general population. This takeover is due to a what he calls a fraudulent virus scare cooked up by those seeking world domination and whose agenda is evil. And he says the only reason this fakery can be successful in destroying the mass of mankind is if the people allow it to happen. And he asks, is the fear of a flu-like illness all that's necessary for the masses to give up life as they know it? 
Is it enough for most of society to give up everything they've worked for throughout their lives? Is it enough that they'll accept a future for their children and grandchildren that is devoid of love, contact, family, travel, knowledge, and beauty? Is it enough to cause an acceptance of life without meaning and freedom, a life dependent on the very masters that purposely brought about this crisis for their own rapacious needs? He says, pathetic doesn't begin to describe the slave-like behavior of the American population today. That stings. People of this country have long bragged about how free they are while claiming superiority over all the others on earth by yelling loudly that they are exceptional. Well, he says, what's exceptional about hiding in their own homes, fearful of doing anything normal, while taking orders from so-called experts that have only one agenda in mind? What's exceptional about not going to work and closing down all your businesses that are required to protect and support your family? What could possibly cause the exceptional to bow down and beg for the state they claim to control to protect them from a common cold by destroying every liberty and right they allege to have? Where are those tens of millions of exceptional that scream out that they live in the land of the free and the home of the brave while waving their flag of allegiance to the same government that has them imprisoned? What is exceptional or brave about hiding under your bed because some politician demands that you do as you are told? He says, is the American dream only a farce? Is this the best that the so-called exceptional can muster? Gary Barnett says what has happened in this country is nothing short of a travesty. A fake virus pandemic long planned by the evil among us has brought this country to its knees. And he says the people who act so proud have done nothing but whine and complain and beg for protection. What if a real threat was evident? All that seems left of this country is shame. Any that refuse to speak out, to go to work, to help their neighbors, to protect their families from poverty, to take charge of a government gone mad, and to eliminate a tyranny that has become unconscionable, should be ashamed of themselves, and should in the future keep silent and say no more unless they stand up to this coronavirus monster purposely created by their rulers. Now, look, you do not have to agree with him that this is just a a big hoax, but can we at least step back and agree There are people who are taking advantage of this, particularly those in power, who are exceeding the mandate of what government is supposed to do, and they're using this as the excuse. This is Loving Liberty. We'll be back after these messages. I'm Brian Hyde. I'm sharing with you some very painful truth from Gary D. Barnett in an essay that was published this morning on LewRockwell.com. Coronavirus silence is not golden. The pathetic truth about Americans. It hurts. I mean, it stings because he's uh, he's zeroing in on a part of our national pride. Remember how we pride ourselves on being free and brave and and, uh, you know, we are we are capable of anything. I do believe we are capable of, of standing up to pretty much any challenge. But unfortunately, I also agree with Gary Barnett in the sense that many of us are choosing not to stand up. But maybe it's because of fear. Maybe it's because we we worry about what will people think if I buck the trend? If I do this, will will they think badly of me? Will they think I'm irresponsible? 
There's a battle that's going on here, and I believe it's mostly in the hearts and minds of people. How much do you cherish your freedoms? How much would it take to separate you from your freedoms? And the answer for a lot of folks, a depressingly large number of folks, is not much. An emergency declaration, a little bit of fear, a few uh, few numbers trumpeted here and there without a lot of context. You know, well, you know how many people have died? Over 120,000 people have died so far in the world from the coronavirus. But if you're willing to do your homework, you're willing to put those numbers into perspective, it turns out that, yes, this is a virus that apparently is is wreaking some havoc. But when you look at it in context... The people who are most likely affected can be pretty clearly identified. If you're over 70 years of age, if you have pre-existing health conditions or immunodeficiencies, yeah, this is not something you want to risk catching. For the rest of society, it's it's a possibility you might catch it, but the numbers, the, the mortality numbers, are so, so much lower. I mean, this is this is this is nothing like the Black Death. And yet we're behaving as if it's 10 times worse. And frankly, as, as so many have said, the, <clears throat> the cure or at least the, the remedies that are being offered right now appear to be much worse than the actual disease itself. Gary Barnett says, I don't expect much courage or intelligent thought from the people in this country. And his reasoning for this is he says, we have forgotten that freedom is not free. It must be protected at all costs. Now, he says, I don't mean war or aggression. Those things steal freedom and has never protected it. It's time to shun the government, the military, the mainstream media, all agents of force in this country. Mass dissent is necessary in order to reverse this horrendous governing oligarchy and to eliminate any orders from the state apparatus. Where are all the brave men who talk a good game, but when it comes time to resist, they run and hide? So his advice is refuse to close your business and go back to work. Refuse to take orders. Refuse to be banned from travel. Refuse to abide by any social distancing nonsense. Refuse to self-isolate and force the state to play its hand. Refuse to vaccinate and help destroy those like the evil Bill Gates and his pawns at the CDC. Refuse to listen to any impotent governor that only seeks more power and notoriety. Refuse to accept a king. For mass disobedience will destroy the beast that is tyranny. And he concludes with a quote from Frank Herbert. If you think of yourselves as helpless and ineffectual, it is certain that you will create a despotic government to be your master. The wise despot therefore maintains among his subjects a popular sense that they are helpless and ineffectual. Dang. I mean, that is... uh, That's painful. I'm feeling the sting of what he's saying here. I don't disagree. I don't think that he is wrong in in what he is calling out here. Now, what does that mean in terms of action you and I should take? Well, this is where it gets a whole lot more individualized, because I don't think we all need to be marching in lockstep. And frankly, there's there is room for people who still have concerns about coronavirus, but nonetheless say, I am feeling an unacceptable amount of encroachment by my government regarding my essential liberties. And for some people, the way that they're going to best make their influence heard is, you know, to reach out to their elected officials or their appointed officials or any of their officials and just register with them. Look, this is not acceptable. 
That's one option. Now, there are others as well, and I was happy to see in St. George, Utah yesterday, there was actually a a very well-attended March for Freedom. And people came out, and, you know, I know there were naysayers. Of course, there's people, uh, just wait, you all are going to get infected. You're all going to die. And and I'm, I'm sad that people choose to live in that kind of fear. Because the truth of the matter is, if it's not your thing, great. Stay away from it. Stay home. Shelter in place. And consider yourself lucky to be smart enough that you didn't expose yourself, right? But no, we have to wish death on these people. Why? To prove I'm right. To prove that my fears are justified. To prove to Master how much I love him. Okay, maybe not that last part, but you have to wonder sometimes. Well, as I mentioned in the first segment, the good news is there is resistance that is beginning to crop up. And I believe it is principled exist- resistance, rather. Alan Stevo has 24 examples of Americans resisting. And I thought I'd share some of these in the hopes that maybe it will give you some ideas of things that you could do. I'm not telling you you have to do this or you're not a great American. I'm just saying consider how others are responding. He starts by reminding us that Neil Ferguson has called for an 18-month rolling quarantine. Alan Stevo says many government officials have cited his Imperial College paper as defense of the corona lockdowns. But like every other algorithm, this too has turned out to be based on the mere guess of an academic. Algorithm is another word for guess. Model is another word for guess. And Alan Stevo says it turns out those guesses aren't actually panning out. We have wagered a lot on those guesses and taken unprecedented antisocial action. New York, for example, has needed some 18,000 hospital beds, not the 55,000, 73,000, or 136,000 that some predicted. Data from Oregon shows the lockdown to be unnecessary. A professor there demonstrated more than a week ago that lockdowns are not working. And though there are severely inflated death counts, only 150 healthy individuals are believed to have died of COVID-19 with no pre-existing conditions. The BBC describes the American death count with this problematic sentence. At present in the U.S., any death of a COVID-19 patient, no matter what the physician believes to be the direct cause, is counted for public reporting as a COVID-19 death. Wow. Alan Stevo says Corona wasn't that big of a deal. That's great news. These lockdowns aren't working. That's pretty big news, too. What are officials doing in response? Doubling down on lockdowns. What are people across the country starting to do in response to that? Well, they're starting to say they've had enough. The resistance is here. So there's the face mask resistance. If you're going to wear a mask, make it a Guy Fox mask. 75 people showed up outside the Ohio State House to protest the lockdown. Some came masked, not in the obligatory fear mask mandated by the national top-down fear mask movement, but in Guy Fox masks. And he has a number of links to the Ohio State House protests that you can check out and see for yourself. He says if they make you wear a mask, send a message. If you think face masks work, he says please, pre, please read this pre-politicization of face masks 2016 piece. They certainly don't work well enough for people to get violent with those for not wearing them. Maybe you remember, remember earlier in the last week or so, a guy being physically, forcibly dragged off of a bus in Philadelphia for not wearing a face mask. In fact, some of the thugs who were dragging him off weren't wearing face masks themselves. 
Well, Philadelphia's SEPTA public transportation, transportation system required passengers to wear a face mask as of last Thursday, April 9th. Passengers refused and stood their ground. In the exact opposite of social distancing, passengers were violently pulled off buses by gangs of cops in Philadelphia for not wearing masks. But it backfired. Because after these shameful displays of police violently removing unmasked passengers, these things were captured on video by bystanders and shared on social media. Guess what? The face mask requirement was rescinded. Whoops, the optics weren't so good, were they? Alan Stevo says in our heavily charged political climate, somehow the willingness to not wear a face mask itself has become a potent sign of civil disobedience in some corridors of America. We'll be back after these messages. Hey, once again, thanks for joining us. This is Loving Liberty. I'm Brian Hyde, and I'm sharing with you an article by Alan Stevo about how the resistance to the lockdowns has begun. There are a growing number of Americans who have realized the situation we are in is not something that can continue on an indefinite basis, and they are asserting themselves and resisting. And it's an encouraging thing, and I'm sharing this with you not in the hopes that, you know, you'll go out there and, you know, protest your little heart out. But in the hopes that you can understand, there are different ways to make your influence felt. And if you feel that, look, we have reached the point where someone has to stand up and say, enough. Government, you may mean well, but you are actually doing more harm than good at this point with all of these edicts and punishing and ticketing and threatening people for simply sitting in their cars, listening to a church service in the parking lot or watching a sunset or jogging down a beach. It's time for government to be reminded that it's supposed to be serving the purpose of guaranteeing our freedoms, not ruthlessly micromanaging every little aspect of our lives. So draw some courage from these individuals who have uh, have stood up to these shutdowns and are making a difference. Next, Alan Stevo points out the bravest principal in California, Principal Derek Bravo at Outside Creek Elementary in California's San Joaquin Valley has kept his school open. Do you realize this is the only public school in California that remains open? And by the way, there are links to every one of these examples that he gives. So you can actually check this out for yourself. They will be in the show notes published on uh, the podcast at lovingliberty.net. How about this? A Gulag California restaurant owner has quietly stayed open. In his essays these past weeks on black markets and Corona, Arizona sheriff candidate David Hathaway has predicted that uh, just as other prohibi- just as the uh, prohibition on alcohol caused speakeasies to form, speakeasies and other, speakeasies rather and other informal arrangements will open around restaurants. And Daniel McAdams proves him right, talking about this California restaurant owner that's quietly stayed open. Yes, it's on the down low. For now. But that little spirit of, uh, of resistance is alive and well. Let's talk about uh, standing up for religious freedom, because this has been one of the most blatant examples of churches are not essential. Church services are not considered essential. Therefore, stay home or the state will punish you. Now, Alan Stevo points out religious freedom has been an important theme since America's European settlement began. And he says it can be no surprise that some of the most active resistance to Corona communism is taking place among the religious. Maybe you saw the video of the Temple Baptist Church preacher 
in Greenville, Mississippi, where they had a drive-in prayer service this past week. Police raided, ticketing the congregants $500 each, saying the mayor wanted to make an example of the congregation. How did the pastor respond? Did he cower? Did he apologize? Did he admit that he was wrong to worship against the will of local officials? No. He shamed the police who were enforcing this rule. He shamed the mayor for telling them to enforce it. And in his words, he says, I told him, get some more tickets ready because we'll be preaching Sunday morning and Sunday night. There was also church bravery in Louisiana. A pastor in Baton Rouge said of the members of his congregation, they would rather come to church and worship like free people than live like prisoners in, in their homes. That's Pastor Tony Spell of Life Tabernacle Church, who vowed to hold an Easter celebration. The media in the weeks preceding Easter was vocal about the need to shut down church, but it was afterwards surprisingly silent about whether the Easter service took place. Hmm. Haven't heard much either about the service that Ammon Bundy hosted in his warehouse up in Idaho. I wonder why they're not talking about it. Maybe because it went without a hitch. One can only wonder. By the way, Alan Stevo says when he called the church in Baton Rouge to verify they held an Easter service, the most distinguished sounding Southern gentleman picked up the phone and said to me, matter of factly, we're Christians. We hold church every Sunday. <laughs> I love it. By the way, it's legal to go to church again, sort of. Alan Stevo says laws are made by legislatures. Laws are not made by governors. Rights are granted by God or some would say by nature of being a human, but not by constitutions. Any governor who thinks he makes the law is a fool. And a few governors have gotten the message. Easter services were, quote, made legal again in Wisconsin, sort of, as long as the service is held outdoors. Church was made legal again in Texas, too, before Holy Week got underway, with the governor being reminded that he's only a visitor in the governor's mansion. A handful of other governors have gotten the same message. In Colorado, churches are now exempt from the lockdown after a Baptist group threatened a First Amendment lawsuit. Then you have standing up to police intimidation in Kentucky. Kentucky's governor vowed to track down Easter worshipers by using license plates, which certainly means there were a lot of people expected to worship there on Easter. Otherwise, there would be no need to even make such a policy. And Alan Stevo says, good on you, Kentucky. Despite finding nails on the ground meant to harm and deter them and police in their parking lots meant to intimidate them, Christians in Kentucky met on Easter Sunday, 2020. Then there's the Sunny Method. When encountering intimidation, Thomas DiLorenzo points to the Sunny Method for dealing with cops and media hacks and attempting to inter interfere with a religious ceremony. I'll let you click on the uh, video clip from The Godfather, but he's talking about Sonny Corleone. I don't necessarily recommend it, but it is definitely one way to handle things. Rather than shutting its doors in uh, Washington, D.C., St. Cyprian re commits to remain open throughout the day each day for prayer. Then you have the courageous Serbians and a Serbian bishop who refused to comply with orders to shutter the churches and boldly said mass instead. Then there were even more courageous Californians, parishioners of Bethany Slavic Missionary Church, said to be meeting in small groups in private homes for worship. Now, some would consider this admirable. The church, perhaps tiring of the legal attention, tiring of the media publicity and wanting to be left alone, denies this. Okay, so they're, they're wanting to keep a low profile. How about the Tennessee resistance? Even though Facebook removed his post for promoting a crime, quote, <laughs> Greg Locke, lead pastor of Global Vision Bible Church in Tennessee, says he will keep his church open during the coronavirus panic. 
and then you have the most inspiring use of a U-Haul. From the back of a U-Haul in a parking lot, this priest refused to abandon his flock. In contrast to some of the more cowardly clergy out there, the image of the U-Haul and the sea of cars is something to behold. Now, there's social distance from uh, compliant pastors. Lawrence Vance called on all Christians to socially distance themselves from what he calls milquetoast pastors in our age of corona communism. And if your church still refuses to open, have your own service. There's a story here about how one LewRockwell.com reader actually started his Easter. Oh, look, and here's a, here's a mention of Ammon Bundy. You can also take it one step further than having your own Easter celebration. You can invite others and welcome them to bring their guns. Now, I, this is maybe perhaps not entirely fair. Ammon Bundy invited hundreds to Easter in Idaho and got a decent turnout. The corona bans demonstrate the point that without the Second Amendment, there really is no First Amendment. I don't remember Ammon saying, and by the way, bring your guns to church. He did say, if enough of us show up, we will make enough of a, a presence here that we can effectively defend that right to gather and that right to peaceably assemble and to worship. So I think it's unfortunate there. Well, if Ammon Bunny's involved, there must be guns involved. I don't think that was necessarily the case. And I did not see this is not to say that there weren't any guns on, you know, attendees at that Easter service. But um, I didn't see any in the video that I watched. And it was an hour plus worship service. So take it for what it's worth. Republican Idaho State Representative Heather Scott has spoken against the Republican governor's corona ban. Also, Bonner County Sheriff Daryl Wheeler. Wheeler actually called for a full meeting of the uh, meeting of the full Idaho legislature to discuss Governor Brad Little's actions. Maybe rein him back in. Here's another one. I, I saw the video of this a doctor being handcuffed after police came by and saw him unloading uh, tents from the back of a cargo truck. Uh, this because this doctor was in defiance of an order to stay off the streets. He and a team of volunteers were providing COVID-19 testing to homeless in Miami. And yes, the doctor is black. That's why the officer said, well, I wasn't sure that you lived here. I wasn't sure that you're really who you said you were. It only stopped and they let him out of handcuffs after the doctor's wife walked into the house and brought out his identification and his credentials. How ridiculous, though. How ridiculous. Well, you know, we just can't be too careful. Then you have uh, the video of the police officer coming after a guy who was running down what was ostensibly a closed beach. The guy's response, he just kept on running. And the officer, which apparently had, uh, you know, who had apparently indulged in one too many donuts, just couldn't quite keep up. Now, there's much more here, but the, the bottom line is this. Courage is courageous. Let me say that again. Courage is contagious. <laughs> Thank you, Captain Obvious. Courage is courageous. No, it's contagious as well. And so when you see people making a courageous stand, let it inspire you as to ways that you too can make a courageous stand. Resistance thrives on courage. And Alan Stevo uh, actually says, if, if, there, if you hear of other tales of resistance, please share them with him. You can check this out. It'll be in the show notes. This is Loving Liberty. We'll be back after this.
Hey, welcome back. This is Loving Liberty. I'm Brian Hyde. Again, coming up in the next hour, I'll be visiting with Darcy Van Orden. We'll be talking about the Utah Business Revival event coming up on Saturday afternoon at 5 o'clock. The location will be announced probably about a half hour before the actual event. You can probably imagine why such measures are necessary, but I'm hoping uh, hoping to see a lot of your smiling faces there because my intention is to be there as well. And, and just, I don't want to cause trouble, but I just want to make it clear by the very presence of my standing there that uh, I will not suffer my freedom to be taken from me without so much as a peep. And I know there's been a lot of, uh, you know, fire and brimstone in, in today's uh, podcast so far, and, and, and I, I don't... Uh, I don't want it to be, uh, you know, unprincipled, just, you know, driven by anger. I really believe there is a principle at stake here, and that is that government exists to serve the people. And when it operates in its proper role, it is a huge blessing. But when it is allowed to just willy-nilly start dictating, this is what you will do, this is what you won't do, it quickly becomes a curse. And that is something I do not want to see happen. Now, there's a question that remains, uh, and that is, who is in charge of reopening the country? Now that uh, the government officials and bureaucrats have shut it down at so many levels, who, who makes the call that it's time to open it up? I know the president spoke up earlier this week via Twitter, asserting his authority to take Americans out of lockdown. Donald Trump said, for the purpose of creating conflict and confusion, some in the fake news media are saying that it is the governor's decision to open up the state's. Not that the president of the United, not that of the president of the United States and the federal government. He says, let it be fully understood that this is incorrect. It is the decision of the president and for many good reasons. With that being said, the administration and I are working closely with governors and this will continue. A decision by me in conjunction with the governors and input from others will be made shortly. Now, I don't mean to rile you up here, but uh, he's wrong. It is not his decision. No one is in charge of reopening the country. Even though Trump has created a council to reopen America, including his beloved daughter Ivanka, her husband Jared Kushner, White House economic advisors like Larry Kudlow, uh, Secretary of the Treasury Steve Mnuchin, and Secretary of Commerce Wilbur Ross. There's a great article on National Review. This is by uh, Michael Brendan Doherty. And he says, perhaps Trump is confused. At one point this week, he referred to his own authority to close and reopen the, t- the country as total. See, this is what you get when you buy into, and I'm looking at you, Republicans, the president describing himself as, I'm the decider. You want that unitary executive? You're getting it in spades. And it's not okay when it's your guy, just like it wasn't okay when it was Bill Clinton, or it wasn't okay when it was FDR. By the way, we're not the only country struggling with this. The president of France, Emmanuel Macron, has simply announced that the lockdown of France will be eased on May 11th, starting with schools. Prime Minister Viktor Orban has given the extraordinary has been given extraordinary authority by Hungary's parliament in the coronavirus's wake. Neither of those two men would refer to themselves as having total power to control their country's response to the pandemic. Only Trump is talking like that. And to be blunt, Trump does not have anything close to total authority to reopen the country. As the author of this piece, uh, Michael Brendan Doherty, says, he doesn't even have permission or uh, authority to reopen my kids' schools, which, incidentally, he couldn't have closed down in the first place. No, the local school superintendent made that call, albeit while conferencing with other superintendents and the governor. 
He says, I sometimes dislike the decisions my governor makes. He unilaterally canceled all spring break for schools, forcing teachers to provide remote instruction during a period when under normal circumstances, schools wouldn't even have been in session. But the police power on which these awful lockdowns are based resides with him, not with the White House. And he says that's a good thing. No one person should be in charge of the nation's response to the pandemic because no one person has proven qualified to bear that responsibility on his own. And in all likelihood, no one person could. Dealing with a very ugly situation at hospitals in Detroit, Michigan's governor, Gretchen Whitmer, has taken measures that strike him as extreme, allowing only the sale of products necessary to maintain the safety, sanitation and basic operations of residences. Suddenly, Home Depot closed its Michigan paint, flooring, and outdoor gardening centers in response to that order. Suddenly, parents who might want to pick up a car seat to drive their newborn baby from another wing of the hospital cannot do so. So the bottom line is, one person does not and should not have the power to direct the actions of 330 million others, even in an emergency. Nebraska doesn't look like New York, which doesn't look like Michigan. One state's needs should not be held hostage to another's. Instead, it's the people themselves who are powering these lockdowns. Now, polls initially showed an overwhelming majority of Americans supported temporary efforts to keep their fellow citizens indoors and slow the spread of SARS-CoV-2. Long before the orders went out to close restaurants and non-essential businesses, the people themselves, informed by news reports around the world, started to restrict and modify their own movements. And no governor could possibly enforce state-sanctioned restrictions if the poll numbers flipped and four out of five began to oppose them, which, by the way, is what's happening now. Not four out of five yet, but people are starting to oppose these measures. So Michael Brendan Doherty has a good point here. It's not just the president's call. And let's back this up one bit further here. It's the people, not politicians, who will decide when the coronavirus shutdown ends. At least the parts that uh, need to be reopened, the parts that are now closed, individuals, families, businesses, religious congregations, they are the ones who will make this decision. That's according to Ira Stoll, writing for Reason.com who says in the fight between the governors and President Trump over who has the authority to reopen America, the politicians have it wrong. It's not the politicians who have the power to reopen America, or at least the parts that are now closed. It's individuals, families, businesses, and religious congregations. Now, politicians can help by eventually lifting lockdown orders and school closures. That will certainly make it easier for individuals, families, businesses, and religious congregations to resume more normal patterns of activity without the hassle of a legal challenge. But Ira Stoll makes it very clear when America reopens, it won't be the response to top-down orders from politicians. Because that's not how America works, and it's not how the world works. If the president or governor says open... And the funerals homes or the funeral homes and hospitals are clogged with COVID-19 fatalities or critical cases. Plenty of people are going to remain in place based on the assessment that it's just not worth risking death to comply with some politicians restart timeline. As if we need to be reminded, America is not a light switch or a sink faucet that we can just turn off and on at will. As Nate Silver, who has been an admirably level headed guide to the pandemic throughout, puts it, people will vote with their feet. So what are the relevant motives? Well, children want to see their parents. 
parents want to see their children. Grandparents want to see their grandchildren. People who haven't yet started families want to go on in-person dates. Business owners want to make money. They've invested labor, capital, and reputation in stores, restaurants, factories, and offices that are now empty or idle. The profit motive is a strong motive. The first restaurant or bar or theater or concert hall or museum to reopen, if it does so safely, will draw a crowd of paying customers. And by the way, the religious motive is also strong. The new Boston Post in a memorial, in a memorable editorial rather, put it this way. Christians need churches to tend to their souls. Church leaders need to begin the process of reopening their churches. By process, we mean series of steps that lead to churches eventually reopening their doors to anyone who wants to come. Each bishop or pastor or church council should come up with a plan today that sets forth a date certain when the church these people administer is going to open. The editorial went on, church leaders should begin this process without any regard for the civil authorities. Civil authorities have their proper role, but it is limited. Our federal and state constitutions explicitly limit the role of government when it comes to religion. Can governors order churches to close? No. Timothy Carney, writing in the Washington Examiner, makes a similar point. Let the church close every other pew. Maybe allow only one family per pew. Pastors could bar socializing, hugging, shaking hands, and instruct every family or individual to stay at least six feet away from every other family or individual. See, against all these motives, against all these are the motives to stay alive and to avoid infecting others. Who has the best information to weigh these costs? Not a president, not a governor, but an individual. Whether that's the cost of going to church or the cost or benefit of each trip out versus staying home. Different people have different tolerances for risk. For some people, that trip to a restaurant or a place of worship may be a risk worth taking. For others, it's not. The best plan for reopening America is one that sticks to American values, one that emphasizes freedom, competition, choice, and diversity, not one-size-fits-all compulsion or command-and-control authoritarianism. It's a conception outlined in the Declaration of Independence in which government's role is protecting natural or God-given freedoms of individuals, families, businesses, and religions rather than turning them on or off or on a schedule, even in the service of of public health.